All right, folks, if you're just joining us, welcome to Faith, Family, and Friends with my wife, Amy, and myself, Pastor Ralph, from here in Michigan. We have a very special guest on tonight, Pam Stenzel. Um, you're Zooming us, Pam, from where? Florida, I'm thinking? I'm in Tampa, Florida today, yes. Okay. Pam, uh, I'm just going to give a little background. You have um, quite a history, um, and I just want to give you a big thanks, too, in a moment for all the stuff I've learned on Bright Course lately from your lectures. Um, but Pam, uh, folks, if you don't know Pam, she is the CEO and founder of um, Enlightened Communications. And uh, they travel, um, the speakers, Pam herself, one of them, travel around the country speaking to young people about making uh, healthy sexual choices in terms of um, their own life. Uh, she has spoken to over 500,000 young people uh, every year, wow. About abstinence. Uh, prior to COVID, let me just put that in there. <laughs> prior to COVID, we need to remember that. Uh, she's been featured on a, new, a number of uh, TV shows. Uh, Bill Mayer, and I kind of wonder how uh, you were treated there <clears throat> respectfully, because Bill sometimes surprises us all. Uh, but you've been on the Hannity Show and uh, 700 Club and a number of other programs. You've also um, put out a video that won an award uh, for um, best uh, documentary on sex and uh, it got a festival gold award in 97. Sex has a price tag, the original, and that that book or the film, I guess, has gone into 11 languages. So, um, and I just I just wanna say, I think if, we th if we're thinking about um, the way our nation has gone since uh, we threw God out of school, the sexual revolution, 60s, and all those choices America has made that has kind of led in part to where we are as a nation, uh, but you've been on the front lines of prevention and intervention uh, on the pro-life issue and sexuality. And if you had to look back on your life, and maybe you could share a little bit of your, your story, um, the enemy wanted to take you out. Yeah, uh, for sure. Any of us. And so maybe yeah. share with us the genesis of, of how you're here with us today and having done those things with the Lord's strength and leading and power? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> well over 50 years ago, I won't name that exactly, but <laughs> well over 50 years ago, a young 15-year-old girl became pregnant in the state of Michigan. Uh, she had a lot of difficult choices to make, maybe more so than some teen girls facing an unplanned pregnancy. She mm -hmm. was raped. Mm -hmm. But this teenage girl chose to give her child life and then to place that child with an adoptive family. And that child was me. I mean, my biological father is a rapist. I don't even know my ethnicity, but I've said to thousands of teenagers over the years, I am still a human being and I still have value. Yeah. And my life isn't worth less than yours simply because of the way I was conceived. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that I deserve the death penalty for the crime of my biological father. Perfect. Now, I later learned <clears throat> as an adult that not only uh, the circumstances under which I was conceived, but my birth mother at the time, who was just 15, uh, was in foster care in the state of Michigan. Now, this was in the 60s, so, so you can imagine. And, yeah. and actually, because of the great state, uh, the wonderful pro-life people in the state of Michigan who did not have a rape exception in the 60s, mm -hmm. uh, abortion would not have legally been available to her. But, but I can tell you that had I been conceived in 1975 and not 1965, I'm sure that I would have been killed by the state. Wow. So 
Um, what I am so grateful uh, that for my life, for this birth mother who gave me life, um, and and for the incredible gift that she gave of of a family. And so I, I am the oldest of eight children. Mm-hmm. Seven of us adopted. Mm-hmm. Uh, every color of the rainbow in my oh, amazing gosh. family. I grew up in West Michigan and Grand Rapids, oh. and um, a lot of my family is still there. So I get to West Michigan quite often to see family. But what a gift that that was for my birth mother. Now, my mother, my adoptive mother, who is just an amazing person, by the way, mm-hmm. um, she, when I was in high school, so this is, again, many moons ago, um, started working for Alpha Women's Center. It's a pregnancy uh, center in Grand Rapids. And I kind of watched her do that. And then I went to, to uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and when I got to Moody, we were all required to do practical Christian ministry. It's kind of part of the deal, you know, yeah. and they assigned me to Awana. And, and let me just tell you, nothing against Awana, <laughs> but I had had my fill of Awana. Yeah, and I, and I, was, I was like, can I please, is there anything else I can do? And this is in the early 80s, mind you. So yeah. I there was a pregnancy center in Chicago called the Loop Pregnancy Center right downtown. And I went to the ladies and I said, I'm, I'm, and listen, I think about it now as an adult, but I, I was like an 18 year old Bible, <laughs> Bible college student. Can I volunteer at your pregnancy center? And they miraculously said, if the school will allow it, they would work that out. And I, I believe I was one of the first Moody Bible Institute students to oh. actually use counseling in a pregnancy center as the practical Christian ministry there in the early 80s. Uh-huh. And it was there that I really, God really kind of honed into my heart. You know, I knew I wanted to be involved in the pro-life movement. I knew I wanted to make a difference in ministry. And this particular thing was able to wed those two things incredibly. So uh, I moved to Minnesota after I got married and um, started working with New Life Family Services there, and then eventually started uh, being the director of Alpha Women's Center. And and listen, back in the late 80s, early 90s, I'm, I'm running this pregnancy center. We're nonprofit. We're trying to raise money. And I'm going to youth pastors and churches, and and I'd say to these youth pastors, I would much rather see your kids at church on Wednesday night than to have to see them in my clinic on Thursday morning. Back in the day, these youth ministers like not our kids that go to church. No, they're they're they've got it. It's, it's those kids out there you need to be talking to. And I'm like, listen, here's my intake at the at the center. What what when was the first day of your last period and where do you go to church? Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's in my intake. Wow. And the, the reality is we weren't really doing a really good job in our faith settings of speaking truth to kids. And what I would see in my clinic every day was girls telling me, nobody told me, I mean, if I would have understood that this would be the end result of the choices I was making, mm-hmm. I would have made a different choice. I didn't know. And I, I would ask these girls, what could we have said? What could we have said before you found yourself in this situation that would have helped you to have made a better choice? Right. And I realized that students are capable of making those better choices. They just need to be given the information and the truth. That's right. And so it sounds like from the get-go, you were doing both prevention and intervention, uh, but with the emphasis on preventing because of what you were seeing. Tell me what, why our, our audience today, why do you think at the time, and maybe has this changed where the church maybe was just sort of a blind eye to what was going on among their youth. Yeah, it, it, and I, I wish, I think we've kind of dealt with it in waves a little bit. And yeah. and I, I think it kind of became in vogue for the church to say, hey, we've got to do something. Uh, it, late 80s into the 90s, we had true love weights. We had some mm-hmm. other 
mm -hmm. uh, things that kind of hit the scene and a, a generation of students were given some messages about uh, sex, belonging and marriage kind of as a result. I, I think it was a direct result of the culture and the HIV crisis at the time too. Yeah. But, but I still found in our churches that kids could give you the Bible verse or they would be able to say, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do it, but, mm -hmm. but they really didn't have the medical information. And then I think that's what we were really lacking. And, and being a kid that grew up in church and grew up with the scripture and understanding what God said, um, it's a natural thing for all of us as humans to say, well, why? I mean, yeah. is, did God yeah. just put this boundary to wreck my weekend and ruin my yeah. fun? And, no, and, yeah, and, it's, and so to be able to look at kids and say, God wants the best for you. He wants the best for marriage, the best for you being able to have children. He doesn't want this pain. He wants he wants your marriage to be fantastic. And, mm -hmm. and choices that you make leading up to that could greatly deter, deter that. So, mm -hmm. so I think we began to give that message and the church got serious about it for a little while. And then I think we just got lackadaisical. I, I, I got to tell yeah. you, that what you, you, you have to remember that when we're talking about students, that number is turning around regularly. So mm -hmm. you can't say, hey, we did this awesome job and we had this event eight years ago and a lot of yeah. kids were really impacted and we haven't done anything since. I mean, this is insane. This has got to be a consistent message. And students need to hear the message from the pulpits, from their parents, yes. from their, they need to hear it everywhere. Now, the problem that we're having, I mean, if one of the big problems or what, things that we're fighting today is that our kids are tuned out and they're getting messages from all the wrong places mm -hmm. and they're believing everything on their social media yeah. and so the 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 problem is if we're not effectively speaking truth to where they are and how they're receiving it mm -hmm. and doing it consistently then then your one message like I had a youth pastor literally say this to me well, we tackled that true love waits thing once in February. Like we we got that done. I'm like, Check it off. Yeah. yeah, hello. This is going to be the topic of conversation every yeah. stinking day. And yes. you've got to find ways. And as parents too, and I used to tell parents, now my kids are all grown now, but but if your teenager hasn't rolled their eyes at you recently and said, you've told me a million times, you're not talking enough. That's my gauge. I've got to be speaking as clearly and as consistently as the culture is. Yes. Because the culture is telling them it's inevitable that they're going to, to be sexually active when, you know, that's a lie. They, they, they're sold that bill of goods, and then they don't think there's another choice that they can make. And you were right about the medical piece. And, and so instead of telling a, a young person that you shouldn't be asking why, we should be empowering them that they're thinking that way and want to have answers and that it's not a bad thing. Yeah, and, and I think helping students to understand too that, that sex is, is not a game. We can't, the culture has divorced the sex act from any kind of relationship. Mm. And, and they're doing it not only in the hookup culture that you see on our college campuses today, mm. but, but they've done it in pornography and, and sexting and all of the ways that, that kids can interact sexually that, that sometimes don't have anything to do with actually having sex. Yeah. And the problem is if you've got young people who have begun looking at pornography or, and, and the pornography that our kids have access to looks nice, nothing, nothing like the yeah. pornography of a decade ago. Yeah. This is a lot of times violent. It's very demeaning. Um, it, it's horrible. And, and if you, if you see the average age of, of kids and, and I I've seen so many studies and it gets younger and younger, but the reality is pretty consistently 10, 11 and 12 years old, 12 year olds are consuming this. Yeah. 
if you don't think that's affecting how they view sex, how mm -hmm. they view the opposite sex, how they view what the act of sex is and should be and who's looking for what in the process, it's it's horribly damaging. And so we've got, you know, I, I work at the University of Florida now. We opened a new clinic, a pregnancy help clinic at the University of Florida. And so the last couple of years, especially through COVID, I've been working with university students. And by the time we see them at university, they are so damaged mm -hmm. by everything that's happened for, throughout <laughs> middle school and into high school that it's really difficult at this point to try and put pieces of relationships together. And, you know, I've got girls coming into me saying, you know what, the, it, no, no boys are interested in any relationship. They're just after sex. And even if they pretend they want a relationship, the minute a relationship gets difficult or you and every relationship will, <laughs> the minute there becomes a little bit of work involved, they're, they're at the door because that's not what relationships were for. We'll just find someone else. This yeah. was supposed to be all fun and games and have nothing to do with, uh, uh, you know, real intimacy. And so. I mean, our kids are starving mm. to be intimate in in a in a right way, and they're trying to fill these deep heart desires yeah. that that God put there. We were meant to be relational. That's how He created us. We were supposed to be a reflection of His relational nature. Mm. And when we just replace that with empty sexual acts, and uh, you know, the met it's it's devastating. Yeah. And really, what we're seeing now when it comes to both the homosexual, the LGBT, and, and now the whole transgender, which is a disaster of a mess, mm -hmm. is really Romans 1 playing out in front of your eyes in all its glory. And if you can't see how this is a slippery slope sliding into ultimate degradation, mm -hmm. and really the reality is you said at the beginning, the enemy is seeking to destroy. He's seeking to destroy people. He's a, he's He's like a roaring lion looking who to devour. And if he can devour a young person at the core of who they are, and that's their sexuality, at, at the core of how they were created, he can utterly destroy their soul so that they can have not only no relationship with, with other people, but they cannot have a right relationship with him. Yeah. And I think a lot of it needs to come back to, and I'm sure part of your training, the training that I have uh, been taking for our pro-life clinic here that I've been a part of the last few months is, is identity. You know, who are they without God? And when the world gives them another message that uh, divorces the physical from the spiritual, the intimate. Um, I know that when you had the interviews with some of the ladies and some of these in the bright courses, I, I just about wept just because of the damage that some of them have incurred and feeling badly for my own gender, having perpetrated much of that abuse, but maybe you could speak about what, what intimacy means to the men out there who are being young boys who are being, their innocence is being lost in a different kind of way when they think that it's gonna be sexual all the time but they don't have that option of knowing what intimacy really is. Yeah, and they've not had it modeled for them and the culture has screamed at them that women are just objects to be used. We're just here to meet their sexual needs on any level. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when that doesn't happen or when the certain person in front of you doesn't meet those needs, then you just move on to the next and the next. And, mm -hmm. and, and you know, they, they don't have to be involved in relationship at all. And the, the problem, I mean, it's, it, it's so devastating. And, and part of this is we haven't, we haven't lived. We need fathers in the home living what it means to be a man and what it means to be respectful of 
not just their wife, but, but all of the women around them modeling this healthy behavior for them. And so many of our young men and obviously our young girls are lacking that father in their world. It's, it's a huge, huge lack. And, and, you know, I can't tell you how we, how important dads are. And I know one of the things we're doing in our pregnancy clinic as well, and I know you, you are there is saying, you know what we need to, and it's kind of the, the prophecy of returning the fathers to their children and the children yes. to their fathers. We've got to get dads back involved. And we, we need to call these young men who are fathering children without, you know, not either thinking they don't have a voice or choosing not to have a voice or not to be involved. And we have to call them to step up and be the fathers that God called them to be. And then we need to equip them to do that. But but I, I think we've got to give this generation of young men their voice back, especially yes. when it's it, when it comes to pregnancy that they act like saying to a girl, well, I'll support you, whatever you decide is being supportive when it's really not. It's just uh, throwing everything in her lap and saying, you know what, you're the one who's pregnant, you deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm going to just completely stay out of it. But the culture told them they don't have a voice. Mm. And so, I mean, you've got an entire generation of young men who don't understand that their, their, their actions have consequences. Those consequences are going to impact not them for forever. They're going to be damaged by whatever decision she makes mm-hmm. and that they should have a voice and they should step up and be, be the father that they're, they're called to be. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the best choice I tell young men all the time is you don't have sex outside of marriage because then we're not dealing with these issues, right? Yeah. You, you made a decision to have sex. That's the end result of that decision. And now you, you're kind of in a situation where you're going to have to have that fallout and, and live with whatever she decides. Yeah. So, so the sexual healing of a woman <clears throat> looks different than the sexual healing of a young man who may have become addicted to pornography, seeing, as you have said, uh, women being objectified. And of course, the women being the object of that and having received the bulk of, if not most, of that abuse and treated like a you know, piece of dirt. So how, do, how does the church tackle that problem? Uh, aside from parachurch ministries like yourself going out and speaking, is there something we can do as pastors, youth leaders, just people that care and have an honest conversation with individuals? But I think the first thing we need to do is go back to what we know is true in scripture. And, and I've said this a hundred times over, science always, scripture follows science and good yeah. science follows scripture. And this, this concept that, that we can kind of recreate man in our own image is, mm-hmm. is nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. So we need to go back and, and really teach the reality of who we are our identity in Christ. We were created in his image. We were created relationally. He created us male and female, and there is a difference. That should not be the most controversial thing that comes out of my mouth. And that difference is in every fiber of your being. It's not just genitalia. Mm -hmm. And so, so we need to create, we need to, to, to preach about God's design and then God's design for marriage, that a man would leave his family, a woman would leave her family that they would covenant to love each other freely, totally, faithfully. And in this amazing covenant, mm-hmm. bring forth new life fruitfully. That was his mm-hmm. command to, to, to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. We have to go back to God's original plan. This is what God intended. This isn't a curse. Mm-hmm. Being pregnant is a beautiful, this is what your body was meant to do. And this is, was meant to be what was the result of a, of a, a union in marriage. So we've got to be really strong about that. The other thing, especially when it comes to the New Testament, pastors preach this. And, and I think that that Satan attacks at this level because it is such a, it's a core teaching. 
in, in the New Testament, we are called over and over again as the church of Jesus Christ. We are called his bride. Mm -hmm. He is called our bridegroom. There is a reason for that language. In, a, in an intimate sexual relationship, in a marriage relationship, the woman is opening herself up and completely surrendering and allowing herself to be entered. In any relationship like that, the person at highest risk for damage mm -hmm. is the person who is surrendering, is the person who is opening themselves to be entered. So do you see this imagery? Right. So as, as a believer, and, and then corporately as the body of Christ, we're saying to Jesus, we are surrendering ourselves to you completely to enter us, to be yes. holy, to become one, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the picture of, of the marital union. This is, this is one of those physical pictures of Christ's relationship with the church. Mm -hmm. So if the enemy can destroy that on a physical level, He's destroyed Christ's relationship with the church spiritually. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what he's after. Yeah. So, so when we read Ephesians 5, where it says, husbands, mm -hmm. love your wives as Christ loved the church, that mm -hmm. he would lay his life down. Yes. The man is to be the protector. He's the one who's to honor and to love and protect the yeah. woman that God's given him. Mm -hmm. He is being given an immense responsibility to, to be her leader. Mm -hmm. The subsequent verse then for the wives is to submit to their husbands. Mm -hmm. And that is because that is that surrender. Mm -hmm. In order to truly become one flesh, we have to submit. But how do you submit to someone who is not loving you in the way that Christ intended him to love you? So, so when men become an image of damage and hurt and abuse, mm -hmm. it becomes very difficult for women to understand that surrender and to be in a, mm -hmm. in a truly one flesh relationship. So the enemy knows that he can he can destroy if we would just teach scripture if we would just teach the truth yeah, of scripture right. it, we would see what god intended and then we could look at our broken world and say see this is what happens when the enemy gets hold of a beautiful gift mm -hmm. of god's design and literally runs it into the gutter mm -hmm. yeah and so so part of that back to the teenagers is too is understanding god's design for you is is beautiful and amazing. And he wanted marriage to be beautiful and amazing. And the experience mm -hmm. of having a child and, mm -hmm. and, and building a family to be beautiful and amazing. The enemy wants the exact opposite. He came to steal, destroy, and kill. And yes. if you follow him, that's what you're going to get. Right. Yeah. And to tell people that, that honest truth that you have in many of your seminars and speaking to kids, um, to me, that's critical. Be able to tell that truth and be honest about where we've come and where we are, and is there hope? I believe there is hope, but it's going to take a tremendous amount of work because the I think the increase increase of frequency and intensity of what we've seen, it's just a, been a morass of immorality. You said Romans one, we have to fight that back with not just once every few years, uh, somebody come and speak to our youth, but on a daily basis try to and pray. God, God will give us opportunities. He'll put with people. Put us with people, but it's. Uh, I know that he landed me uh, with uh, alternatives here in Battle Creek, and I'm just blessed to have uh, been part of that. We actually have four or five guys just recently signed up to be part of our um, men's counseling uh, group. So that's awesome. Five, five or six guys. So, but you said it's probably one of the top three things is is a, the lack of true fatherhood in our country, and so many yeah. have said it through the years. But hopefully, we can do something about that. And, 
I'm glad that you're on the front lines, but I think part of what you want to do is rattle the cages and, and, and shake the tree so that all of us can, can be participating in some way uh, with this issue of uh, teaching kids and, and also, and not just intervention, but prevention as well. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I've said as I've traveled around the country and supported ministries like Alternatives there in Battle Creek and, and the many across the country is that this is, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ with yes. hands and feet. This is, this is the church being the church where you need to be. And, you know, I've I say this all the time that I, I can go out and speak to a group of, of, of students and, and that's a necessary thing to do, you know, with the masses as it is. Yeah. But I don't know where each individual student sitting in that room is in their walk. Maybe they've never experienced anything. Maybe this is all new. Maybe they've just gotten out of a terrible relationship. Maybe they've experienced sexual abuse. I mean, I don't know what's going on in their world when I show up to speak. Mm -hmm. But in our pregnancy centers, especially when that girl walks through the door, we know no matter what else is going on, she's in a moment of crisis. This is mm -hmm. probably the most teachable moment you're going to get with her. Mm -hmm. And you know what, when she's experiencing that fear, maybe for the first time experiencing a consequence of some of the lies that she believed and the choices that she made, mm -hmm. um, she's sitting in my clinic now and, and, and gets a one-on-one -on -one with one of my nurses or, or whatever, you know, the nurses and the volunteers in your clinic too. Mm -hmm. This is a moment where we get to meet her. Now she's going to come to us long before she'll walk into the doors of a church yes and that's why it's so important that we're there so that we can meet her needs immediately in the physical as well as uh the boyfriend the baby's father whoever is involved mm -hmm. and begin to minister to her in that time of crisis and this can be what completely and radically turns her life around and yeah. and minus the gospel please that we are yeah. not we can do nothing but but when we put ourselves to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to be your hands and feet in this situation right here. And I'm going to believe the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then we're, we're able to kind of intervene in that crisis and then disciple her along. And I've said forever, my goal then is to hand her back, maybe boyfriend back, new little family back into yeah. the church and let the church do the long haul mm -hmm. and, and walk them through and, and help build families. I mean, you're not just saving a life of a baby. You're saving that mother. Yes. You're possibly saving a father and a, and a family in the process. And you're literally impacting generations. Mm -hmm. This is generational impact. Yes. Yes. So now more than ever, we need to be being the church and being intervening in the midst of this crisis. It's the most te teachable moment you'll ever get in that young person's life. We know that average the, the crisis is really going on between 15 and 24. That's kind of our target age or we really need yep. to be concentrating. And, and I think if we can do that intervention and if our churches can come alongside and be the partners that God wants them to be in the pregnancy health movement, I'm so tired of hearing that pro-life people only are pro-birth and they don't yeah. care about people That's after cool. that. We care about her sure and do. we don't just, we care about her whole, we care about her physically, emotionally, spiritually. We care about the whole person and her family relationships. So I, I, I think it, it, it's authentically living the gospel. It's yes. living the gospel where it's difficult, right. but that's people aren't going to hear your sermon. They're going to see it. You've got to live it yes. right in front of them. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And even as daunting as the task may seem to be because of uh, where we are as a nation morally or immorally, I should say, I believe if the church repents, and I believe she is in many degrees, but like corporately, uh, and we say, Lord, 
we don't know how we're going to do it, but we we want your help to turn this thing around. And we do what we can, each one reach one, you know, in the way that you suggested. I believe the Lord's miraculously will, will begin to help us in ways that we could never have imagined. And uh, maybe do a quick work in that heart and mind of, of healing and wholeness, while at the same time we're attempting to counsel and bring them along and, and empathize uh, with their broken broken world. So yeah, um, yeah. And, and the more brokenness out in the world, the more opportunity there is for grace and healing. But we've got to, I think one of the biggest struggles is at, at least two generations now, I would say at least two decades, um, we've made tolerance the greatest good, right? Yeah. So, so to preach truth mm. feels intolerance. Like we're just, oh, but just, you know, God loves everyone. And, right. and, and so we've got a couple generations that are really afraid to call sin, sin. Well, mm-hmm. if you can't call sin, sin, we have no, there's no hope. There's nothing left. I, I, yeah. I used to laugh. I said, I'm old enough to remember when we had amazing grace in church amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i want i remember that we don't have amazing grace we have mediocre grace how bland the sound that slightly corrected a misguided person like me i didn't see very well got lasix got lost spot a gps we are not confounded by our sin and there is no way that the gospel can come in and make an impact if we're not willing Mm-hmm. to 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 speak truth the way christ would have done it he called people out of their sin yes. he didn't make them comfortable in it right exactly we've edified emotion as being the thing that we need to protect more than seeing the long haul consequences of what that could do because emotions uh, can fool you you know people yeah, we don't are, want people to hurt their feelings or right. you know yeah so tell us what, what what you think about where we are as a church with regard to the scotus recent decision uh it's it's amazing to see how angry i'll say the enemy is about that then not just the organizations and the media and different people who who have said things are i think i'll just say it our current administration here in our country uh all wanting to federalize abortion now which would be a, a that would be the ultimate judgment from god if, and we would deserve every bit of that uh if, if that happens but we need to pray against that, and I'm sure you and your friends are. We are. Um, it, does that present us with an opportunity? I, I certainly think that you must disagree. It was a, a victory after 50 years, yeah. uh, a yeah. year jubilee. But I, I, I think we're losing the battle uh, sometimes and have for 50 years mm-hmm. in language and allowing the other to hijack what's true. So, mm-hmm. so there's so much misinformation out there. It, it's it's almost. A, annoying i mean and it's misinformation at the kindergarten level i mean things that are being said like oh our rights are gone well first of all that's not at all what happened as the supreme court just said we're not going to make the decision from that level we're going to take it back to the states Uh which is where it should be fought it's closer to home we we can make a better difference there Mm -hmm. the other thing is is that all all the, the supreme court did was allow states to restrict abortion they didn't end it at all no. Nothing that they did would would prevent a woman who's having a miscarriage to get mm-hmm. adequate and correct medical treatment, mm-hmm. an ectopic pregnancy. All of that is lies. I mean, so many lies coming mm-hmm. from the other side. Yeah. And they, you know, they're run by the father of lies. So so we would expect that. Yeah. So w- we need to continue to speak truth to what is true. The other thing is this. There are myriads of options, choices available to women 
so many choices mm -hmm. that don't involve the killing of their child. Amen. So let us give you all of these choices. And there are many of them, including adoption, as well as safe haven surrender, where they can yes. walk into a fire station or hospital and legally, no questions asked, mm -hmm. an unharmed newborn and hand that over to hospital staff. That baby yeah. will be adopted within 30 days and loved by an amazing family. So, yeah. so, so this isn't forced birth. It's not forced parenting. It's none of those things. So yeah. we need to continue to, to speak truth to, yeah. to I, I mean, I'm doing it with teenagers. I just finished up doing a, a big youth conference in Houston. Mm -hmm. uh, there were almost 20,000 students oh, in Houston gathered together. I spoke to about 6,000 a day. And, and just reiterating with them, this is what your friends are going to be saying. This is what's not true. You need to understand. Good. We want to make sure women have help. There's help for them. Um, the church has been involved in helping in women for 50 years. My mm -hmm. job did not change with the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Right. I got yeah. up the next morning and did what I've been doing the last 30 years. So none of that changes. We just need to be a lot more vocal. We need, mm -hmm. and you know, what's interesting. I, and you're probably just as upset about this as I've been, mm -hmm. but these same people who scream at us for not doing for women that we don't care about women and are, are the ones who are firebombing and threatening yeah. the very oh, yeah. organizations yeah. that are yeah. out there helping women. I know it's, it, it's, it's the just so maddening. Gaslighting and oxymoron mm -hmm. uh, that can, so exist. it's crazy. One of the things that, I noticed that it was hard for me to believe it, but this is how gullible that people have become because of the onslaught of lies through the years is that, and, and I, I don't know if I read it in your material or in our Bright Course training, but that women will say typically when you offer adoption, well, I can't give my baby up for adoption, but you can kill it. And of course we have to be careful how we say that, but that really is, speaks to that point of, of that lack of information um, that's not being given to people. It's, well, it's, and, it's, and people in the, it, culturally, we need to understand something that of all the women who choose to carry children to term mm -hmm. in a crisis pregnancy, so they didn't choose abortion, they're carrying their children to term, 97, some will say now it's 98% mm -hmm. will parent. Only two to 3% at the most would ever make a decision to place for adoption. So you take that statistic coupled with infertility rising among women exponentially, pri primarily because of STI infections yep. like chlamydia and pelvic inflammatory disease, because women are waiting longer to get pregnant, to even begin yep. to think about starting their families. And it's far more difficult to get pregnant when you're older. I mean, we just, that's just the way it is. Yes. So you add all of these components. We have so many couples who can't have children and we have literally no infants available. So I'm so tired. Listen, I, I'm going to strangle the next person I see this on social media. Well, yeah. well, why don't we just make adoption less expensive? This has nothing to do with the expense of adoption. This is absolutely supply and demand. We do not have infants available for every couple. What We've probably got close to a thousand couples waiting for every certainly safe haven baby that becomes available. And, and probably just as many as, you know, so, so when I, because I, I work with Safe Haven Baby Boxes, I answer that hotline. Yeah. I, we get these calls whenever there's a baby surrendered. Well, I want to adopt a baby. I'm like, get in line. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you not understand that there are literally thousands of couples already in line? It's not like we've got babies back here. We have no fan, homes for. 
And, and that's why this insanity of the other side trying to make like, oh, this terrible, these kids will just end up in foster care. That, yeah. If a child ends up in foster care, that is 100% the fault of the biological parent. Mm -hmm. The only reason a child is in foster care is because the biological parent refuses to relinquish their parental rights yes. and the state won't take it away. So here's the deal. If you want, if, if that child, the child can be adoptable in seconds. The parents just need to sign the freaking papers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they don't, then the the child goes into foster care. That is not. And you know, listen, you've been around. I, I think kind of as long as I have. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. You, rem exactly. you remember the argument prior to Roe v. Wade? Oh, the foster care system, which was nowhere near overrun as it was. Abortion mm -hmm. was supposed to fix foster care, fix unwanted children. Did. Yeah. It 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 expounded it. It made it ten times fixed child abuse. It did none of those things that they tried to tell us it would do because it can't. It doesn't have the ability to fix that. What my biological mother needed mm -hmm. in her horrible time of trauma, and I do not in any way make light of the trauma of a 15-year-old being sexually assaulted, mm -hmm. but what she needed was not to have me ripped violently from her womb. Right. She needed someone to love her, to come alongside yeah. her, to yeah. offer help and hope yeah. and healing. Yeah. That's what she needed. That's right. Exactly. Well, wow. <laughs> I appreciate your passion and just we relate to it. Believe me, it's a, yeah. it's a big thing. But I, I think that that maybe the first linchpin is down with the, with SCOTUS decision. And, and we many of us have looked toward a time where, boy, now our workload may be getting heavier, but God will be enough for us. And it'll show us how we can share that load. And I was just listening to a, a prophet saying that, that he was just sharing an encouragement saying that in these last days as we're praying for revival. And I believe that if you've got revival and awakening, it's certainly going to include um, the abortion issue and teaching kids proper uh, abstinence in their decisions sexually. Um, he had said something to the effect of that God is going to give us the energy that won't be because the labor has been difficult because we don't see the fruit, but maybe now we'll begin to see that fruit as we work together in unity and, and continue to do what God's called us to do. Absolutely. And, and I think we always need to keep in mind too, it's, it's, a, it's an actual quote from Mother Teresa, but I have carried it with me my whole ministry. God didn't call us to be successful. He called us to be faithful. And so it's just this, this, as people of Jesus Christ, as, as people of the way, as followers of Christ, yeah. we need to be faithful to whatever it is he's called us to do. And we will leave the result yes. up to him. Yeah. I remember reading this book in Bible college called From Jerusalem to Erie and Jaya. And it was a history of Christian missionary work. And I remember reading these stories of missionaries in like Africa or someplace in tribes where they spent their whole life. And that one person came to Christ. And, and then they were killed or martyred and then a big revival happened and they were dead. And I thought, what faithfulness. Can you imagine being that missionary going home on furlough? No one has accepted okay. Christ in the last decade, but we're still yeah. there. Please help yeah. us. <laughs> and and I, just, I just remember thinking, you know what, God, God we need to leave the result yes. to him. And we need yeah. to just be faithful to what he's called us to do. Yeah. And, and then he gets the glory for, for yeah. the... Uh, for the yeah. win in the end. Amen. Yeah. Nothing that we do is insignificant. If we just keep our eyes on him, it, it's like the, the young boy in the loaves and fishes, he multiplied for food. I would think that if 
you know, the Lord is always illustrating by way of, of a lower, easier thing to relate to. So if that's true about food, it certainly will be true about babies and the unborn 100%. and what we're, what we're doing. So um, I'd like to pray for you and your ministry. Thank you. Awesome. Close. Uh, Lord Jesus, it's been such a blessing to have him on um, live and in person and not just on right course. <laughs> We've uh, had some great times texting back and forth, and we really look forward to this time together uh, tonight. I pray that, Lord, if anybody uh, is on tonight seeing this live or later on as we recast it to YouTube and put on Spotify, that, Lord, even if it's just one soul, one young woman, one young man who hears this message or is, is pricked in their heart to, to go seek help, before uh, they destroy their lives anymore and find their identity in Jesus Christ, it would have been worth it all. Thank you for Pam and her ministry, her family, what she's doing, what you've led her to do, how you've turned a life that could have been snuffed out had she been born in any other state. But Lord, you chose uh, you chose to have her born. And uh, Lord, uh, you've, you've fulfilled the purpose in her. And, and I know that she looks back and, and can see what you've done. It's humbling. Uh, and Lord, it's an honor to serve you together. Thank you for tonight. We pray a blessing upon Pam and her, uh, Pam and her family and, and upon the body of Christ. Lord, bring us revival to the church and an awakening to the streets of America. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor. Amen. Okay. And, and hey, I'm yes. going to be close to you in September in Niles, Michigan. So Niles. that's yeah. not far at all. Not at all. Where to? I, I'll, I'll write it down. Um, we're doing a youth conference on a Saturday. We're going to be speaking in some schools and then a, a banquet for pregnancy centers there. So I will make sure I send you that information so everyone knows, especially yeah. the Saturday event for the for the students. So Good. And we'll share it with our alternatives. I'll be over there Thursday morning. So thanks Beautiful. a lot. Pam. I'll send it your way. All right. God bless you. God bless you. you. Bye bye. bye.